Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Get the Table, another wrestling roundtable discussion podcast with myself, Adam Wilborn, and the Dally Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflow and Michael Sidgwick, here to discuss another burning wrestling issue. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Monday Night Raw, but also Friday Night SmackDown, NXT, Duper, AEW Dynamite, AW Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have more roundtable discussions like this one and a round of the week complete with a good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick and gents, we are gathered. Oh, we are socially distanced because I've got bloody COVID today to talk about Tony Khan's big announcement. Michael Sidgwick, how are you feeling about this? Because Tony Khan and his big announcements have literally never let us down. Tony Khan and his big announcement sounds like the name of a student indie band. <laughs> Tony Khan and his big announcements. He has an uneven track record, which to the man's credit, more recently than not, it's a good record. I think mm-hmm. he's learned from his mistakes. Those mistakes were, of course, hyping up Jake Hager versus John Moxley, Jesus Christ. Um Overhyping Christian Cage when an adequate level of hype or an all-out surprise would have cultivated a much nicer and fairer reaction. I mean, Paul White literally said on the Revolution 2021 Go Home, it's not who you think, as if to say, look, it's not punk, but it's a level below. We're trying to sell a pay-per-view. But at the same time, he's meant to be the promoter with some integrity. And I believe that he has. When he said in, I think it was November 2020, the power of balance in pro wrestling is shifting. He got a little bit ahead of himself because it was like pack returning. Great. But uh, what's that got to do with the balance of power? And then the, the forbidden door creaked open. And recently him saying that he had a huge announcement. We've signed Keith Lee. I think people have missed the point of what a wrestling promoter is meant to do. They are meant to promote their talent, hype them up as the potential champion chasing game changer within the company you're not meant to just come up from nxt 2.0 on of nxt black and gold in front of a post mania raw crowd half of which will know you and like you and then that's it 
I was talking to a wrestler earlier today and he told me a character trade. That's not a debut. It isn't. You're meant to promote them. So he's promised a huge announcement. The verbiage around this most recent one suggests it's not a free agent, but we'll speculate recklessly, of course, deeper into the pod. I think this is an actually big one, but we'll see. Yeah, Hamflet, we've uh, we've speculated before on, on potential new signings. I love the fact that I distinctly remember about a fortnight ago sitting there with Andy going, AW said, that is it. No more new signings for a while. Subsequent to that, we've had, well, Buddy Matthews just last night. And now, you know, today you're reading about, I think Jonathan Gresham was backstage on last night's show, who, to be honest, I think would be a sensational pickup for uh, AEW. Uh, Obviously, the news about Swerve, again, just to reiterate uh, Andy's point that he tweeted, I believe, yesterday. I think, oh, he retweeted an old point that he'd made about, Potentially, you could build an entire bloody company around that guy. He's so talented, Shane Strickland. Uh, and then, obviously, the, there's the speculation and almost confirmation today from Jeff Hardy effectively being all elite. Do you think that's what the, the big announcement is? Uh, no, I don't. I think it is really fun to um, recklessly speculate, and not just on these three, but on other names. Um, there's a favourite of mine that hasn't yet come up that we'll get to shortly that would at least... To the Fiend. It's, if only it was the Fiend. Um, no, Tony Khan, as you as you say, has learnt lessons that if he was going to debut the fucking fiend, he would uh, do it unannounced from under the ring to take out the entire house of Black to show them what real law looks like. He wouldn't do it as an announcement. But there, are, there's only really, um, I think, one name that lives up to Tony Khan's giant billing, and it's not that of a wrestler, but more of somebody that Tony Khan probably understands. You know, on a on a man to man level, on a billionaire a billionaire, or a billionaire's son to a billionaire's son level, um, fiend. It's still a fiend. It's uh, it, no, like it's. I think the the point about the the story coming out a little while ago about oh well, that's it, we're not signing anybody else. That was sort of as stupid as over signing because of course names are going to come up from time to time and you're going to want them. There's no, there should be no one set rule about this. You shouldn't have blocks on signing people just in the same way you shouldn't have mass releases like wrestlers should be case by case basis in every single case but yeah outside of those big names I just don't think that this particular one has the same feel about it the only one like I'll jump in with it now so we can just get some daft speculation out of the way is Shane McMahon the idea that he's bringing in Shane in an official capacity that he can present differently to talent and then obviously eventually it's to put Shane on there to work some stupid match as well um, because he's got a great history in wrestling and he thinks he can bring something at a corporate level or something daft like that. But otherwise, this is just isn't how he tees up talent, is it? It is now he tees up that somebody's going to get an all-elite graphic. Um, the fact that it's massive, in his mind, means that it could be something akin to a match featuring a new signing, you know, like not just Jeff Hardy, but we're going to give you a Jeff Hardy versus the Young Bucks and that that's the part of the massive element that he's talking up. But no, I don't think... I wouldn't put too much stock into the idea that AEW is just going to stop signing wrestlers, but I don't think in this particular case it's Tony Khan um, overstating the arrival of somebody new. Siege, what do you make about these potential new signings that I just mentioned there? And Shane McMahon, of course. I agree in principle with Hamlet that you should not decide to just put a, a block on signing anyone new, irrespective of who they are, because with WWE being the way it is, I expect incredible underutilized talents to become more readily available as the year drags on. I'm worried about the specific type of wrestler that is being brought in currently. Um, 
AEW needs a tier and it's functioned so well because of its tier system. I think Khan has possibly abused it too much at this point. We've talked a lot and bemoaned star versus obvious guy who's going to lose to the star matches. But the more you bring in hot free agent signings, the more this exacerbates that issue mm. in that you don't want to bring in someone highly touted and then job them out. So then you just run in, you run a foul of the book and traps that Khan has um, found himself in. Like Buddy Murphy can be a 50-50 guy. He can take pins for the House of Black for all I care. I need to be wowed by him all over again. But like Keith Lee, you don't want to be jobbing him out. You've still got Miro that you can't really create anything for, according to reports. Um, so yeah, I'd be wary. Like they like the Hardy Boys, in theory. We haven't really seen it. But to be honest, we kind of have. We've seen a lot of character, flash of character from Asai Cassidy in particular over the last however many weeks. Um, they've done enough, I guess, to get on paper before Cassidy has. I don't know what's up with Mark Quinn. But ultimately, if they get the Hardy Boys and Jeff Hardy, theoretically, they could advance private party all the more. So there is something to that. And they could then use their ingrained star power that will never die, the Hardy Boys star power, win the first few programs and then just lose, lose, lose and put over top flight, the Young Bucks, Private Party. And that's what they are there for because I think their days as a money-drawing act are finished. So yeah, case by case, but I don't see this particular huge announcement being a particular new signing, though they will do what WWE should have done but didn't with Jeff Hardy and they will treat him like pro wrestling royalty when he comes in. Uh, now, when I suggested us talking about this as a topic, the first thing you you said, Sige, was a potential super show, I suppose. So just tell me a little bit about, about, more about that. Do you believe AEW are about to control their narrative? Shut up. <laughs> People are going to think you're MAGA. Megan talks about this. Absolute pack of dickheads. I think it was someone on um, Squared Circle who pointed out that the biggest alt-right shuds you know have unwittingly created a socialist professional wrestling company because they're that thick. And I enjoy that. I enjoy that quite a bit. I'm assuming, I don't know what they identify as politically. Libertarians, perhaps. I don't give a toss. Let's not talk about them. No, let's instead talk about the other potential super show. Yeah, yeah, a a good one. That's got an actual chance of happening. I feel like I'm operating well above my station when I talk about this. But everything I can see, and it's mainly through the very good Chris Charlton on Twitter, who keeps people abreast of um, developments in Japan's coronavirus policy, knowing that it has an impact on what can and can't happen at New Japan shows. And as I understand it, at present, and these things could all change, everything's tentative, bollocks isn't it living in 2022 but as i understand it i think japan has come to the realization that omicron is simply so transmissible that it doesn't really matter um where in fact it comes from like community cases are so rife everywhere that the idea of travel bans feels like an antiquated concept and from what i can gather very strict procedures on um it's what i'm goddamn looking for quarantining mm are set to be nixed because they realize it's kind of pointless at this point. So with that in mind, I expect in the US anyway, because it will be easier to get the Japanese wrestlers back into their native country, they could at this point 
pull off an AEW X New Japan Pro Wrestling Super Show. Oh. Um, it would tie up with the huge thing because it would be a huge, amazing celebration, rife with dream matches, etc., etc. Um, so I think it ties up. Apparently, it was in like loads of meetings. Rocky Romero, Ghetto, sort of Bushy Road, all the rest of it, that would tie up with meetings, plural, the political side, the financial side, the logistical side. And let's wildly speculate on some of the matches we could get from that. Well, another reason why I think it's feasible, because it matches the huge criteria. And there was a, last year, there were like widespread reports of unrest among the foreigner contingent. Um, Will Ospreay didn't seem happy. Jay White's been slumming it in impact rather than work New Japan shows. So I think there's something to that. And maybe it works as both a show from which New Japan and AEW can benefit. It allows um, the Japanese roster the sort of morale boost of working in front of a loud capacity crowd. Um, the match, should we pick two each? Two matches each? Yeah, I haven't really got any. Truthfully, I like it's. I think at the moment, the, the my personal interest in New Japan has never felt so low since before I was watching it that the star aura of the wrestlers themselves has diminished to such a degree that outside of absolute like powerhouse mega main events, of which there's probably a couple that we'd agree on or clash with anyway, the benefit of a super show like this because AEW has had the advantage of real crowds now. Well, it's had like a, what, an eight, nine-month start on New Japan. It might end up being a full year before they've properly got a run at it. Um, yeah, I, th- I feel like at the moment it's beholden to AEW a little bit to help elevate New Japan status to make the Super Show feel super. It's all like it's all very nice putting wrestlers side by side in a in a Twitter thread or whatever. But just I don't know. It's it is it's a case of extremely diminished or it's like. Fair enough, Okada, Tanahashi, to a lesser extent, Naito, versus, you know, one or two, three major names. And at the moment, I'm just, I don't know, I'm not feeling as hyped about this as maybe Tony Khan possibly is if he's on the inside putting the deal together. I was very, very hyped about Tommy Rishi coming to AEW. And they farted around with him in Best Friends. Like, I don't, do you know, it's, I just, I sort of feel like there's one obvious, enormous match that very nearly headlined Madison Square Garden that I think we both think would be worthy of both a big announcement and headline in this super show. And Tony Khan, we've always imagined, would probably love to have the next version of it. But I, I, if anything, I think the best thing they could do as part of the super show would be to elevate that company again. Gado should want this more than Tony Khan. Indeed. I think that as much as a lot of people have not sworn off, but just have been made to lose their interest in mm. Japan pro wrestling, which I think is an absolutely fair way of putting it, the second that this appears on the Blue Tick AEW Twitter account, this announcement, I think people would generally get hyped. I like it's like the Austin thing. If you see, if you, yeah, he's going to wrestle Kevin Owens. How good it could it be? If you see them interact on Raw, people will get hyped for it. I think on a similar principle, something that feels elusive because you don't know how good it could be. Once it's there, it will be great. For me, if in fact they are doing an AEW New Japan Super Show as part of this huge announcement. American Dragon Brian Danielson versus Hiroshi Tanahashi is like a realistic and incredible prospect because you have to navigate this politically. You can't just put as much as I would love to see it equally as much. Uh, Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada. 
if you're booking a show like this, you have to recognise that Okada is the biggest star in New Japan and they would not let him lose cleanly. So you'd have to put him on like a, a B-level guy, whoever that might be. I think that Tony Khan could say, look, you job Tanahashi out quite often later in his career, but this match has still got the ultimate pull. Can we put Daniels? It'll be like an exchange. It'll go completely 50-50 if in fact it happens. The best possible match that is a political reality is American Dragon Brian Danielson versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Just the idea of this particular nasty, violent version of Danielson working over Tanahashi, Tanahashi fighting back against him, selling the various limbs, the wonderful thing they can do in the spaces between moves. I think it could be an absolute masterclass of the form. That's the match I would most want to see. Go on, Amphla Chiro, give us one. Well, but it's, I'm racing to Omega Ricardo. Yeah. That's when you talk about Kazuchika Ricardo and possibly the getting a, you know, the, the politics of either needing to get a win for this paper to work and everybody to be relatively happy with it, or indeed just the sheer quality of a match to put both companies over, that this feels like the perfect stage for it. I can't think of a single match that people want more if, if you say that Blue Tick Twitter account throws up an AEW logo and a New Japan logo. That's the match, isn't it? It's, it remains... Like it's what it's, it's happened four times, and it's somehow the elusive wrestling dream match because yeah. we want another go at it, you know. Because we we know we came so close, and then obviously AW's very existence delayed that <clears> until <throat> we're, we're finally back at the point. Um, so that looks pretty good. I was trying to think when we were like discussing this as a possibility earlier on, I was trying to think of young books matches, and I think that was where that made me realize that I'm hitting a bit of a wall. I've got any tag team division worth speaking well, of. That's it, isn't it? There's no sort of great tag team division to speak of. Um, and then I was like, I was, so I know he's not technically, is he technically New Japan? I don't need to be considered a freelancer still, Minoru Suzuki. But you look at the Minoru Suzuki match or matches that he could do, and we've sort of had them because he went on tour last year and you, you got the best. I, I, honestly, I really genuinely struggle. I like the Jay White law and now he's around and in amongst it and probably keeping quite happy to keep this arm's length distance from New Japan. Um, Shingo could have rippers with about 10 different guys. That's pretty fun. And I guess, I see, this isn't my dream match. I'm just, I suppose I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of people that would want it. There's a lot of people that would want to see Will Ospreay interact. Yeah, with I was going to say Will, yeah. Like a lot of people that, like, and there's a list of guys that he's even either never worked with or um, has only had like passing dalliances with before AW was formed. If you think about someone like an Omega and that like awesome Golden Lovers tag match just before the Wrestle Kingdom where all the AW yeah. Hangman Page had a couple of G1s where he lost substantially more than he won, but it was the first it was the first time he got that music, and it was the first time you kind of were allowed to receive him as a future top guy. So it'd be interesting to see him work. Like maybe like they find a rematch. That's what Tony Khan likes to do. He looks back at those G1 brackets and he finds a match that Page lost, and it becomes a nice a nice tale. I'd need, I just think I'd need to be told some stories. On that, while you were talking, though, I did wonder if, what about AW, like, as part of the opening up of the world and as part of New Japan returning to normality in, in like, 2022, could the announcement be something like AW is going to be involved in the G1? And, and it helps oh, yeah. jazz that tournament back to life. Like, you've got wrestlers, you've got, like, it happening on two sides of the ocean, or you've got wrestlers... Um, that are appearing in like A Block, which takes place in America or whatever, something like that. Uh, if not a co-promoted show, a co-promoted G1 climax. I would love that. I'd love. Yeah. To, I know I had a broken record with my burgundy jumper, but Danielson in the G1, just give us it. 
yeah. One other match I thought of then as I was just scanning through the uh, New Japan roster, because you've got all the all the great matches you, with all the names you just mentioned there. And I saw a name and I thought, oh, oh, and I don't know whether you're going to you're going to like this or not. But Orange Cassidy versus Tori Yano. Yes, that has to go on second. That's superb. Like banger opener, and then that's the perfect second match. <laughs> Bingo Takagi versus Darby Allen. Yes. Like, I'm getting involved now. I'm getting involved. I'm on board. Let's do it. <laughs> I'd love to see that. In terms of like, again, you'd have to think politically. They can't really do a Carter Page or Shingo Page. What an explosive match that would be. It would be incredible. Um, I think they are more than willing to let Ishii lose just as much as he wins New Japan. Miro Ishii would be a great way of getting Miro back into the mix. El Fantasmo is, is someone we were lucky enough to have in, in Defiant WCPW back in the day. And him versus like, I don't know, any brilliantly talented flippy dude, but Dante Martin is the one who immediately comes to mind. Could be an absolute banger. A very, a very AW wrestler in general is Hiroki yeah. Takahashi. Mm, yeah. Hiroki Takahashi fits tomorrow on an episode of Dynamite. So um, him, like... Who you would involve him with, I could think would be as would be as nice for the little being the elite clips or the, the build as it would be the match. Him and Darby yeah, working just a psychotic match would be awesome. Like him and Sammy as well for the same yeah. reason. And just absolutely going like full whack, no breaks. MJF and Tanahashi as well. Yes. Oof. Hey everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Well, moving on, uh, another show that would be super, Michael Hamflet, is if AEW finally pulled off something they, they plan to do in, 
I believe 2020, was it Fire Fest 2020? And that is bring all elite wrestling here to the UK. Yes. Um, it's a strange one, this, because it's obviously, it's a bit like the same conversations we would have all the years. Um, WWE were maybe or maybe not going to run like Wembley Stadium or whatever. You wonder sometimes um, if this conversation is a bit more insular because we're in the UK. Like, how much does this mean to American fans to have AEW do a big show in the UK? I, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> is that taking place on one of them goddamn soccer pitches? Are those pitches as small as the players? Because they look a lot smaller than our NFL guys. I don't wear pads. <laughs> um, yeah, like I don't know how big a deal it is to American fans or our American listeners or anything. But I, you know, if it's Craven Cottage, for example, we can promise you really interesting visuals. Um, Tony Khan, vanity plus other business interests will like promote. Will what will promote Tony Khan into putting on one of the best ever looking AEW shows he ever has at Craven Cottage? It is an old fashioned English football stadium in an era of nearly identical, identical new ones. Mm. So the prospect of making this look. Um, like really, like, because Craven Cottage is beautiful for how old and crumbly it is, but an AEW show in that stadium could look totally different to any other AEW show we've ever seen. Um, it would be, it would present Fulham as more of a corporate powerhouse compared to their London contemporaries, Arsenal and Chelsea, and now like Tottenham Hotspur have got the most like futuristic ground in the country at present. You've got Wembley Stadium itself. There is lots of reasons and arguments why AEW would want to run somewhere bigger. But the beauty of Craven Cottage is it doesn't put pressure on attendance. They've done shows of comparable attendance and they'll do much bigger ones, probably in the near future than Craven Cottage. That's something I've got for this, just in terms of a mammoth stadium show for what AEW would look like in a stadium, bigger than Arthur Ashe, like 40,000 plus, let's say. That would be bigger than Craven Cottage. So they don't even need to worry too much about mm. selling tickets. It'd be a white hot ticket, actually, in, in England. So, yeah, like, coming to the UK, I think, if nothing else, capitalises on what I, by far their second biggest market and every North American wrestling company in history's second biggest market, which is the UK. WWE needed the UK when times got very hard all of a sudden and promoted SummerSlam 92, which kind of became this iconic moment in the company's history. Albeit Triple H didn't like it, but what, Zeno? Um, <laughs> You know, like sort of this. How's your territory doing? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like it's sort of the the bulldog Brett match and the legit highest ever attendance for quite a while as well. There's a lot of history attached to SummerSlam 1992, TNA when it was on in the UK um, and doing substantially better numbers than WWE. And I I know that's a debate in and of itself about how other companies do better numbers than WWE in, in the UK. But I went to a couple of those tours and electric house shows in big buildings instead of a free ticket to Universal Studios with fans that go every week. It looked like a different show. It looked and felt like a different product, and people over here were very pleased to have it. And I, like I say, I speak from first-hand experience. I think it'd be a monster event over here. Is Tony Khan like underestimating how many global fans would react with a shrug gif if he says, here's my big announcement, Craven Cottage. We might actually get for once, Sidge, some actual five-star wrestling here in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. If, Sorry, go on. And if, uh, if you know, Craven Cottage is too small, they could go to a, you know, bigger football stadium, like, I don't know, off the top of my head, St. James's Park in Newcastle. That's reserved. Let me know why. Mm, exactly. It's like, it's, like, it's like the blood money MSG. <laughs> because they've got shared 
incredibly problematic ownership. So I think that stadium is yes. like the uh, blood money MSG. Not to piss on your chips, Wilborn. I want, I want a WUK show more than anyone, but I think it would annoy other regions, like namely the West Coast. Whose yeah. ratings drive AEW's very revenue. Um, it would annoy them if they got it before us. I don't think it's a big logistical concern anymore because the Fed have done UK house shows mm-hmm. like mid-pandemic. So I just don't think it's the type of thing that would require loads of meetings. Tony Khan rings up. Tony Khan, the owner of Craven Cottage. Can I have a stadium, please? Um, yeah, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be fine. <laughs> I'm so a that for a bit. Yeah, I'm in a very important meeting. I thank you for holding that. I, just... <laughs> yeah, I think I'll, I think that can be arranged, actually. Um, <laughs> well, actually... Oh, yes, I think we can get food and drink, actually. <laughs> Fulham are doing very well dot, 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 the championship, which sounds amazing to uh, the Yanks, but in fact it's a <laughs> level below the Premier League, so I don't know what the temperature is amongst Fulham fans um, because they're not, they don't really like Tony Khan uh, very much, possibly they're happy now because they're hammering teams um, at present in the old Champo but if they run Craven Cottage you run the risk, right? You know how there's these dickheads these genuinely like quite pitiable people who I haven't seen it in a while, but it was a trend when AEW went back on the road where like the Cornet stands would pay a premium price <laughs> to go and sit there and hold up signs saying, uh, this is all stupid. I hate it. I pay money to tell you this. And it's just like, all right, okay, cool. Uh, great. Maybe if they run Craven Cottage, the more disenchanted, Fulham FC fans could go and like hold up signs saying "Concert on your football, mate." Woof! Could you imagine the flags though? Right, right, a fucking football club, you fucking fake shit. So, like, that could be a problem if he ever decides to run Craven Cottage. On the flip side, though, you know who the Fulham manager is right now, don't you? No. Marky Hungy, Marco Silva. (laughs) (laughs) Tell you what, if there is some kind of crossover, Alexander Mitrovic would be a tremendous pro wrestler. He would be a tremendous pro wrestler. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. Like you say, it would be hilarious, though. Not just the meeting with himself, but AEW's announcement. You know, sometimes when people, when the tweet's so long, or they do a three done threads, obviously, and it just continues. It's like, uh, Tony Khan has a massive announcement. AEW is heading to the West Coast, dot, 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 of England. It's going to be... <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think, I, think we're, I think we're slightly biased, but it does annoy me, because I'm right in thinking they were going to come with Firefest in 2020, weren't they? Yes, that's correct, unfortunately. Imagine... Going to London, trip of the boys, and you get to see uh, Young Bucks and FDR versus Lucha Brothers, the Butcher and the Blade, a oh. Canadian destroyer spot of the outside, with a beer in your hand. I <laughs> for that. Imagine, man. Uh, one of the other theories, Hamfler. Why have they not done that? Ran that spot back in front of crowds. That's a good point. Maybe they wait until they return. No, um, no you, uh, really? One, uh, one other theory, Amphler, is uh, is a potential streaming service for for AEW. 
I like this and I like it for the potential answer to our question as well. It's uh, something that I they've but like dark and dark elevation obviously exists for a multitude of reasons, but it's quite a coy and cute way to fill a, a couple of buttons on a streaming service with content, isn't it? You know, like somebody, well, like one day this service will exist. This AEW streaming service will exist. And like with the WWE Network or Peacock now, but they, for the Yanks, um, there are going to be um, people that go back and relive something that maybe they've never watched properly. Like uh, the, there's going to be a dark elevation review podcast or something. This is not me manifesting into existence for us three, by the way, but just like hypothetically, like that happens with all the old content is like, did you, did you ever want to find out what happened on a 2003 episode of Heat? Well, thanks to the WWE Network, two people are talking about it. <laughs> so I do think this is eventually going to happen, but like, obviously initially they needed, um, they needed their relationship with Fight. They needed to build up a library of content and it's probably not hurt them to be um, beholden to the old metrics of pay-per-view that you yeah. run television to sell shows a buy rate comes in and that buy rate reflects people that have parted with $50 or whatever to see the, the most premium version of your product. So it could be a different model to the WWE network, but a version of that, I think at this point would be super welcomed by the fan base. I think like in terms of um, getting your global fan base on side, everybody's really happy because like the network for all its ills is still a one-stop shop that we're now spoiled with. It's been eight years or whatever it is. And imagine having to make more effort than just going on there and pressing that button to get your, your WWE pay for you once a month or whatever it is you're going to watch. So AEW being able to offer something comparable to that, I think would be tremendous. Um, Dynamite is fantastic. Dynamite is one of already, uh, however many years old it is, one of the great wrestling shows for when it's for when it's peaked. And it needs to be easier to go back and relive some of that. Genuinely, it does. And I, like I've lived that experience firsthand. So being able to like go through the Dynamite archives, you would get bored of it because the network has made us all spoiled, but it would be really lovely to have. And I think you would get people on board um, for the first year of, uh, you know, whatever the, whatever your agreement is to get people on board for that first period of time, whatever it is you need good numbers for. Um, it's an income stream, all that boring stuff that George Barrios, remember George Barrios? They were on more innocent times, weren't they? But all the stuff that you would blow on about during the investor calls before Nasty Nick came in and started getting serious. Um, it's all that, like, it's, it's bland, but it's all good stuff from a business perspective. And it would, it, like, it's going to be good for them to have one eventually. So, the, And this would absolutely fit the bill of a major announcement. Mm. I would love to see it. I mean, we've got fight um, in international markets. It's not that difficult to navigate, but it's not the same as the user-friendly version of the WWE Network. Um, pay-per-views aren't integrated onto there. I think a streaming service would work, but as a neat segue, we'll born into our next point. Maybe it needs something a little bit more substantial than just the existing AEW content library. Well, indeed, the, the final suggestion and that I've, I've seen uh, bouncing around on social media, but like you say, may well link to the, the streaming service, but also... Uh, but also uh, boost it significantly if they can get the, the back catalogue of Ring of Honor. Has Tony Khan potentially bought ROH, Sige? Yeah, it's certainly something that you'd expect would interest him. If nothing else, like streaming is the future. Streaming is potentially going to dilute itself, um, but at present, it's the future of content consumption. The bigger the library you have, the more you can get money in WWE's case for absolutely old rope. I mean, I'd, I'd watch superstars from 1992 all day long, but ultimately we're a select 
niche group. Um, and it's just a thumbnail. It's just a thumbnail. It's uh, an accumulated amount of minutes that you can sell to a potential executive on the basis of, look how much content we've got. It's all about volume. It's all about the amount of thumbnails. It's all about the illusion of this much content, even when one in every three films on Netflix you'd never watch in your entire goddamn life. Adding ROH to this package with the idea of they can get a billion from a Peacock adjacent service, HBO Max or whatever, I don't really know if they're in negotiations, Warner to do something different or if HBO Max is going to be like betrayed in the future. But yeah, ROH, it's funny. That content library would do well for them in business negotiations with the streaming service. I think WWE were actively interested in it for one at one point for that exact reason. Whether it's got any sort of worthwhile buzz as a brand that you could potentially reboot as a second show and put someone like, I don't know, like a new creative force, not named Delirious, or Marty Skill for that matter, Jesus Christ, in charge, and you can finance it. And then you could use it as a feeder system almost. You could run ROH versus AEW shows, potentially a few overlapping storylines. How much value does it have? Because for me, it's stigmatized, much like Impact, as a show that would have to do something incredible for me to watch it on a weekly basis. It's an interesting question. How much value does it actually have? Mm-hmm. AW has subsumed the value of Ring of Honor I, almost entirely. It's USP, its status as the number two as it once was when the Young Bucks were there leading it at top. It's an interesting question, and I think it's got an indirect benefit financially, if nothing else, but work would need to be done to reestablish the prestige of the brand. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's like, what exactly are you buying? Are you just accepting your lot and getting... Like Vincent Mann was over the moon to buy WCW because if nothing else had ever worked with Invasion and most of it didn't, he got that video library for a song, didn't he? And that's helped arm his network for years. It armed his DVD releases, all that sort of stuff. Like, they, there was speculations that Vincent Mann made the WCW money back on one DVD box. Like, there was a rise and fall of WCW DVD that probably made enough money in sales that that covered the purchase of WCW. Like WCW. I don't know if that's the case with Ring of Honor. don't have a clue of any of the financials, but let's say for argument's sake, that is something that enhances a, a provisional AW streaming service pitch. You know, then it's then it's absolutely worth its weight in gold. Ring of Honor's presence exists currently for independently booked shows and an invasion angle in impact. That's what Ring of Honor's brand awareness is at present. So you, if anything, you're, you're talking more about the legacy of ROH than you are the, the present day, if you, if in terms of a purchase, you know. Um, it's not not interesting, though. And again, it's really, I guess we're measuring it against what qualifies for us as justifying the, the hyperbole, the big announcement. And I, I think this does fall under that, at very least. I, I think it sort of it shows, um, it almost shows like a complete, a completion of a phase of what Tony Khan was going for with the opening of the Forbidden Door and how he was viewing wrestling mm. and how he was viewing exactly, and a little bit of their original change the world philosophy as well. You know, they kind of, AW's mere existence expedited the end of Ring of Honours as we knew it, but this is a, a gentle way, a capitalistic way, but a way to help Ring of Honour live forever 
in another sense. You know, I, I feel like I'm back to Barrios pitching what they're going to do with the world-class highlights if they get them. You know, well, if Jerry Lawler gives us some of that Memphis content, we're going to help you live forever. And he's like, well, I, I don't really want to get any older than I already am. But yeah, like it's it's a way, Tony Khan loves Ring of Honor, loves what it stands for. You can see it in his booking, you can see it in his matchmaking. So it would stand to reason that he would want to help restore its legacy somewhat, even if, I don't know, even as a developmental, as sort of Sidrick suggested there, AEW are a pretty good thing with how they develop, it would seem. So I don't know if a, a Ring of Honor brand as their new NXT sort of thing would maybe diminish that somewhat. It's never been done, has it? Vince McMahon mm. couldn't sell Nitro to somebody to run WCW independent of WWE, even when he was offering them The Rock as its as, as new Nitro's big star. He would have given them The Rock. He would have given them Triple H, I think, with the two. And the, the networks were still like, nah, you're all right. You, uh, we know your three letters. Just, just promote them instead. So it'd be, it'd be a first if he managed to run an entirely separate promotion while clearly owning the other one. Very intriguing. Watch this space. We'll keep you updated on all of it. Just very quickly as we wrap up, Sige, just reassure me that this big announcement is not Dynamite going to three hours or Rampage going to two hours. I hope not. God, I'd like to think that Tony Khan knows how much people hate three-hour editions of Raw. I don't think you would hype it as a huge announcement that everyone's going to love if, in fact, this is the route they will one day take. My worry is that it probably it might. Um, I think they would very quietly, in a very uncharacteristic way, say, yes, yeah, we're going three hours. We can't make a big song and dance about it. I think they What's would that, just try it. Nothing. No, no. <laughs> I think they would rip the Band-Aid off knowing how incredibly divisive it would be. One thing before we give our twittle, 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 Twitter handles <laughs> and call it a day on this particular podcast, I think the tone generally that we've spoken in throughout suggests that there probably has been a bit of an oversaturation of huge announcements and groundbreaking things that I'm going to do. And I'm possibly a little bit bored. I just love AEW. wanted to just exist as is. I don't think we'll wait for it to come, but maybe a bit of fatigue around the idea of it getting crazier and better and all of it. Like I'm watching mm. at least two world-class storylines play out as is. I, no one who they can bring in at this point is going to do anything as good as Punk and Danielson are doing. It's amazing having them there. I'm still loving the fact that they are on my TV mm. screen every week. Maybe it does in general, just as a closing point, need to just calm the hell down. I understand the promotional logic of saying, if you thought this was good, this is going to be even better because that's what wrestling has done forever. We have to live up to Sunday and then after Sunday, it's like, but check out Wednesday. If you thought Sunday was good, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but it does sort of, as you say, especially because of the, the things it's, you know, we're recording this on a Thursday and the stuff we've just reviewed from last night's Dynamite, seminal stuff as you put it, Sidri. You risk sort of undermining that a little bit, don't you? Mm. Yeah. Like sometimes wrestling does have to stop and smell the roses more than it does, even though it's not in its instincts to keep the machine ticking over. Well, let us know your thoughts on everything we've discussed and what you think Tony Khan's big announcement is on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... Um, Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, for daily wrestling podcasts, our review of AW Dynamite is available right now. And uh, if you're on the computer, why not head over to Amazon as well and check out Michael Sidgwick's brilliant book all about AW, uh, Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AW, because it's 
It's a brilliant read. Um, but yes, for now, this has been Get the Table. My thanks to the Dadley Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. <laughs>